and we'll start anew. So if you would like to open your Bibles to Hosea chapter 1, we're going to be looking at this chapter and uh, some things that we can learn from it, hopefully. We've been in this book of Hosea now for a couple of weeks, and we're actually concluding the first lesson, which the, the author entitled, Just Because Love. We've looked a little bit about a little bit at Hosea and what we can learn about him from this book. And uh, we've discovered uh, a few things. We've discovered, first of all, that God is using him in some unusual ways. God is giving him messages for him to give to the people, and he's also using Hosea's own life as an illustration or a metaphor of God's relationship with Israel. You may or may not know a lot about the minor prophets. I don't know a lot about them. I am not in any way uh, an expert in this particular area of Scripture, not that I'm in any area, but particularly not in this area. We have what we call the major prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel are referred to as the major prophets. It's not that they're more important, but their books are much, much longer. Then at the very end of the Old Testament, there are these 12 minor prophets. You know, the guys with the funny names like Habakkuk. And Hosea happens to be the first of this group of 12 minor prophets. So here's Hosea. He has been, as our author told us a couple weeks ago, he is one of the earliest of the writing prophets, and we have written for us the messages that he gave to the people of Israel. A prophet was someone that God chose to be his messenger to the people, to warn them, to instruct them, to rebuke them, to correct them, to do all kinds of things. And Hosea is one of these. He is a prophet. But not only does he use his words to instruct and correct and warn and uh, warn of discipline and things of that nature, but God also chose to use his life as an example. And this is kind of unique. I don't know about you, but um, some of the things that he was asked to do were kind of hard. But God wanted to use him, his life, as a message as well as his words. So we're going to look, first of all, at the messages that God wanted to communicate through Hosea. And we see several of them right in the first chapter. Beginning with uh, verse 2, it says, When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go take to yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness, because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. So he wanted the people to see their sin, their sin of adultery against the Lord. And he told Hosea that he was going to demonstrate that. And he was going to demonstrate that by actually marrying a woman who was a prostitute, who was an adulteress herself. And because of that, Hosea was going to represent God, and he was going to show to the people that God still loved them, even though they were, in fact, departing from him. They were guilty of the vilest adultery in departing from the Lord. And this is the message that God is wanting to give through Hosea. God has always demanded his position of authority in the lives of his people. Way back in Exodus 20, which is the beginning of the Ten Commandments, we read, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt out of the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. God does not allow anyone else to sit on his throne with him or in place of him. And the passage in 
Exodus goes on to say that they could not make any image, they could not form anything that they would use, even as a representation of God. Only God, who is spirit, could be worshipped by them. So, God has this very strong message for his people, that they were to recognize and serve him only. Now, I should have gone back to that, and I don't know how. So, <laughs> the picture of the idol up there that we saw, that doesn't ring a lot of bells with us, does it? We don't have those kinds of idols in our lives today. We don't think we do. In fact, we may think we don't have idols at all in our lives. But starting this coming week, the work that we're going to be doing in our study guide is going to help us see that we also have idols in our lives. They don't look like the stone idol up there, but we have idols in our lives as well. In fact, an idol is anything that we feel our life would be meaningless or incomplete without. And we're going to start looking at some of those things that are very subtle, might be below the surface, but things that are and have the potential of being an idol in our lives, something that would take God's place. Now, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew names were extremely important. We tend to name our children things that we like, maybe a popular name, maybe a family name, maybe a name that goes well with the last name. Uh, you know, we have any number of reasons why we choose the names that we do. But in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew culture, names were very, very important. They would show things. They might have a message of uh, the future of that, that person. They might have any number of things. But the name itself was extremely significant. And so we see in this first chapter that God actually named the children. The three children that Hosea and Gomer were going to have, God actually gave Hosea the names for them because this was going to communicate a message. The children's names were going to show that God would punish and disown Israel. All right, the very first thing that we see in the first name, the first name of the first child, God said was to be Jezreel. And Jezreel means God scatters. And what this was saying was that God was going to punish Israel. And he was going to punish them by scattering them into other nations. And this happened some years later when the Assyrians took the Israelites into captivity and scattered them into other nations. So God said, first of all, God was going to punish Israel by scattering them. The second child, a girl, was to be named Loruhama. And her name meant no mercy or not loved. And what the message was was that God would no longer love Israel, nor would he forgive them. Very strong statement. God was going to cut them off. He wouldn't love them. He wouldn't show them mercy. He would not forgive them. Then a third child, another son, Lo-Ami. And this word name means not my people. And what he's saying is that God would not no longer call Israel his people, nor would he be their God. Now this is a very gloomy prediction, isn't it? The thought that God was going to scatter them, he wasn't going to love them or forgive them anymore, he wouldn't even call them his people, nor would he be their God. Very, very difficult messages to hear, but this was the message that Hosea was giving him through the names of his children. But then in verse 10, something different happens. Look at verse 10 in chapter 1 of Hosea. Yet, which is like but, it means the opposite, the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, 
they will be called sons of the living God. Now, did I miss something? Isn't that from verse 9 to verse 10? Verse 9, he says, you're not my people. I'll have nothing to do with you. I don't like you anymore. And all of a sudden, in verse 10, he says, you will be my people. I will love you. I will restore you to your position with me. Now, as the author has shown us before, this is one of the challenges of prophetic writings, isn't it? They can be going in one direction, and all of a sudden it seemingly takes a 180 and goes in a totally different direction. You think, what in the world is going on? Well, as our uh, author gave us a, a very good illustration, I think, she showed us that there are different opportunities for these prophecies to be fulfilled. Sometimes the prophecy is for today, what is happening right now. Sometimes it's for out there a little ways. And sometimes it's clear in the distance and the end times hasn't even happened yet. And here we see again in Hosea 2.23. He says, I will show my love to the one I called, not my loved one. I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. And so just the opposite of what the children's names had prophesied is now being given through Hosea. God will discipline disobedience, but he never stops loving, and he is always, always faithful. He is never unfaithful. But, as our author has challenged us, uh, there are difficulties in understanding some of these prophetic writings. We don't understand. And one of the reasons is because they're not in lineal form, as I just said. Sometimes He's talking about one period of history, and then in the next sentence, he's talking about another period of history. It is not in linear format. And so she used an interesting illustration in the study guide our author did. She suggested that it was kind of like the trifocal lenses that her husband had. Now, I had cataract surgery just a few weeks ago, and so I've been dealing with this close and intermediate and long distance for a couple of weeks now, and it's, it's quite interesting. For instance, when I look at you just with my newly fixed eye, which is wonderful, I can see the features on your faces. I can see you so absolutely clearly. But when I look down at my notes, whoo, nothing. It's, it's a blur. I need the glasses. And so when I put the glasses on, it's clear, it's crisp, nice black letters can see wonderfully better than I've seen in, in some time. But when I look up with these glasses, oh my goodness, I can't even see your faces, let alone the features on your faces. So we need to make sure that we're looking through the right lens, right? We need to make sure that we have the right perspective. But one of the other things that I think it's really important for us to realize about studying a book like Hosea or any book of scripture is, any part of scripture is written to demonstrate God's character in his works as our author told us a couple of weeks ago, he is the main character. Israel is not the main character. Hosea is not the main character. Gomer is not the main character. We certainly aren't the, mo the main character. But God himself is the main character. Now we've been looking a lot at Gomer in this first lesson and seeing the grace that has been offered to her. First of all, to marry her in the first place and then after she goes astray to bring her back again wonderful, wonderful picture that we've seen of our lives as sinful people as well, that God does reach out to us. But what I want us to look at today is some of the character qualities of God. 
Hopefully you picked up that second sheet. If you didn't, you can get it on the way out. And it gives us 27 different attributes of God. Now, I'm glad that someone did the work on this. Some Bible scholars through the years have come up with these 27 different character qualities of God. And one of the things that we want to see is that these character qualities are always in perfect balance. I've used this illustration before. I like it. Um, I look at a bicycle wheel, and to me that kind of is a, is a weird and simple picture of what God's attributes might be like. All of these spokes on a wheel are in perfect tension, and they all work together to keep that wheel in balance so that it, the bicycle operates the way it's intended to. And this is um, just a, a simple illustration of God. God is always in perfect balance. He has these 27 different characteristics. He's not either or, he's both and. Most of us are either or. We're either doing well, our goodness, our kindness is, is really working, or it's not working so well. But God is not either or, he is both and. Okay, I want us to talk about some of the characteristics that we see in God. There are really two different types of characteristics. The first type of characteristics are what we refer to as communicable attributes. And if you want to look to the side of your sheet that says communicable attributes at the top, these are things that are true of God, they are part of his character, but we are to imitate them. We are to imitate these qualities as well. Things like love, like goodness, like faithfulness, like kindness, like mercy, like patience. God has all of these qualities, but he wants us to imitate these qualities in our lives as well. Then there are what we refer to as incommunicable qualities. And these are things that we cannot imitate. These are things that are true only of God. For instance, omnis omniscient, the fact that he knows everything. Omnipotent, all-powerful. Omnipresent, everywhere at the same time. Eternal, no beginning, no end. Infinite, same general idea. Supreme, the fact that he's in control over everything. These are things that we cannot imitate. We might wish that we had these things, but these are true of God alone. So God's character qualities are expressed in his actions, but he can only do what's good and loving and just and righteous and gracious and faithful because he cannot violate who he is by nature. He is bound by the totality of his character. All that he is, he is all of the time. Now, I wish I could say that about myself, but that's not true because I kind of go in and out of some of these things. God does not. All that God is, he is all of the time. Now, today I want us to look at four attributes. As I said, we've been looking a lot at, at Gomer, which is a representation of, of us and uh, and our failures, and we've seen how God reached out to her and the beauty that came into her life as she had the opportunity to truly be dearly loved and accepted and complete, as we saw in, in the lesson that we did with, uh, with Jennifer last week. But God has these qualities, and that's the reason that she is able to respond to him, because he reaches out to her. There are four attributes that I really want to talk about today that form the basis, first of all, of God's relationship with Israel. God called 
this special people, his people. You remember, it goes clear back to Abraham in Genesis. He called Abraham and he said, come to a new place that I will show you and I will make of you and your descendancy a great nation. And all the peoples of the world will be blessed through that nation. And that, of course, became the nation of Israel. And so God, in his love, reached out and gave them the opportunity to be his special people. They didn't deserve it. They didn't earn it. But God, in his love, called them. I have kind of a pet peeve. And one of, well, I have several, but this is one. <laughs> yeah, we won't go into all of them. <laughs> but I have noticed, particularly in recent years, because I've been around a long time, but in more recent years, I've noticed that uh, we have a current popular use of the word love that I think really demeans its importance. We say we love our family. That's great. We also say we love a sunny day. We love chocolate cake. We love to be with our friends. Are those things really love? Not. I mean, I like those things. They're enjoyable. They're good. They're something I look forward to. But love? Do I really love those things? And I think because we use, and if you listen, people say that all the time. All the, all the, all the time. I love, I love, I love. You know what? We have just demeaned the meaning of the word love. We have, we have really diluted it. Now, some languages actually have more specific terms for different types of love. And in the Greek, which is the language of the New Testament, uh, there are three different words that are used in the Greek language that have specific meanings of love that we don't have in English. We just use the word love because that's really all we have. All right, the very first one that was used commonly in Greek literature of the time, it is not, by the way, in the New Testament, but it's used in other Greek literature, is eros. And eros referred to sexual love. Now, there's nothing wrong with sexual love, but it just wasn't used in the New Testament. The second word that is used in Greek is phileo. And phileo refers to a warm affection that we have for family or for friends. It's based on emotions or feelings, and it also is performance-based. When people are doing well, when we're happy with them, when things are going well, then we phileo. We have loving, warm feelings for them. And there is one more, which is agape. Agape is different from phileo in that it is unconditional. It is not based on warm feelings. It's based on an act of the will. And mainly, it is not performance-based. In the Nelson Study Bible, it says, it is a love based on deliberate choice of the one who loves, not on the worthiness of the one who is loved. And obviously, this is the kind of love that God has, right? And it is communicable. Isn't that interesting? We are told to love the way that God loves. In 1 John 4, John writes and he says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So God's love is not based on his feelings. Not that he wakes up one day and feels real good, real lovey, and loves us. No. He is always love. 
It's not based on our performance. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God's love is not based on our performance? It's based on his character. God is love. And that's why he is trustworthy. His love is unconditional. It is just because love. He loves us just because it is his character. It is his nature to love. And this is not the I like you, I feel good about chocolate cake or whatever. This is the unconditional I choose to love you and there is no way that that is going to change. God is love. All right, a second quality. A second quality of God's character is his sovereignty. His sovereignty means that he was creator of all, everything belongs to him, and his control is supreme. He is in control over everything. And as we said before, God chose Israel to be his special people and possession. He called Abraham, told him to leave where he was and to come to a new place that God would show him, and he would make a great nation from him. This was God's choice. And because he was sovereign, because everything belonged to him, because he created everything, he could make this choice. I couldn't make this choice. You couldn't make this choice. But God could. In Deuteronomy 7, we read, The Lord did not set his affection on you, referring to Israel, and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. In other words, you're nothing special. You're no big deal. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So God had the right to choose. He still has the right to choose. He can do anything he wants to. But he's bound by the totality of his character. He'll never do anything wrong. And so he chose Israel as his special people. God also is faithful. The passage in Deuteronomy goes on and says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. So God is faithful. He keeps his promises. He keeps his covenants. On the other hand, Israel is unfaithful. And they are demonstrating their unfaithfulness through idolatry, which is also referred to as adultery. These terms are being used more or less simultaneously and synonymously because, in God's view, they mean the same thing. All right, God has dealt with Israel for many, many generations at this point. And through these years, they have repeatedly been unfaithful to him, particularly in the area of idolatry. As we think back even to the early days of Israel, this has always been a problem. When they first came out of Egypt, they were at Mount Sinai. Moses went up on the mountain, you remember, for God to give him the law. And while he was gone, the people came to Aaron and they said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. What? He had just brought them out of Egypt, opened the Red Sea, done all the things that he has done, and they come to Abraham, excuse me, they come to Aaron. And they say, we don't know where Moses is. He just sort of disappeared. He, he's gone. So we need you to make the God who will go before us. And that's what Aaron decided to do. He told the people, bring your jewelry, bring your gold, and we will make a calf, a golden calf. And they did. Because the people 
wanted to have a God to follow. They did not want to be without a visual form to worship and to lead them. And so while Moses was gone, Aaron helped the people to make this terrible, terrible idol that God despised. And this had been their pattern this through the years. From the time, early time on, they would adopt idols from other nations around them. They would at times create their own idols. But this was the main sin that God was criticizing them for. Sin is contempt for God. It always is. And this is the, the basic expression of contempt for God, is put something else in his place. All right, one more quality of God that I want to look at. And as I said, there's 27, but we're just going to look at four. And I think these four are kind of foundational to relationship with him. The fourth one is, is his grace. And this we get in Hosea chapter 3. This is where God again says to Hosea, go, show your love to your wife again. She has left. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So here we have an expression of God's love. He's telling Hosea. And Hosea represents God. God's life is pictured in Hosea. First of all, God told him to go and marry this woman. Then, even after he was married to her, she was unfaithful to him again, left him, left the family. And now God says, go back. Go back and get her. Bring her back. Bring her back. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, even though they turn to other gods. So this is God's fourth quality. And his, this grace is rooted in unconditional love. Nobody deserves grace. Nobody deserves grace. It is unmerited favor. Now as we look at these four, we see God's love, God's sovereignty, God's faithfulness, God's graciousness. This is the, the basis of relationship that God had with the Israelites. He drew them to himself through these four qualities. All of his other qualities are important too, but these are the relational qualities that are so important that he, that he led, he reached out and he pulled that wonderful new opportunity for the Israelites to be his special people. Now, on our lecture notes, we give you personal application questions or assignments. And today, I've given you something that I would encourage you to do. I didn't bring it up here, but hopefully you all have the copy of the attributes. That two-sided list that gives you the uncommunicable as well as the communicable attributes. Whenever we do a study in a book like Hosea, in any book, the main thing to be looking for is God. What does this show me about God? Now, it's important to know about Gomer and about us and how God reaches out. That's, that's important. But the most important thing for us to know in any exposure to Scripture is what does this tell us about God? And so I would encourage you to take this sheet because it reveals God and his character. That's the purpose of the book of Hosea. And this sheet lists the various qualities of God. And when we know God's character traits, that helps us see him at work around us. You can't see God. He's a spirit, right? Just like we can't see electricity. Now, I can certainly see the results of electricity because those lights are just absolutely blinding me. And you can hear 
the result of electricity because of the microphone, right? So we can see the result. We can see the evidence of electricity, but we cannot see it. And it's the same way with, with God. We cannot visually see him because he's not a material being. But we can see the evidence of God and what he is doing in our lives. And that's what I would like to encourage you to do with this sheet. I have one of these sheets that I keep in my prayer notebook. I, I use a three-hole notebook. And I have three-hole punch in my sheet, and I put it in there. And every day I look at one of the qualities. It takes me about a month to go through because there's 27 of them. Every day I look at one of the qualities. I read the quality, I read the verse that's beside it, and then I just spend some time thinking about it and praying about it, thanking God for it and what that means to my life. And so the questions that you might ask yourself, and these, you know, there could be other questions, but the questions I would encourage you to ask yourself so that you can learn more about God's character and how it impacts you, what does this character attribute teach me about God and how should it affect the way I live? Now let's just think a little bit about this. Uh, for instance, sovereignty. What it teaches us is that God is in control. He's the source, he's the resource of everything that we need. Okay, how does that then impact how I live? It should impact me by, say, by helping me realize that I need to follow his will and plan for me and submit to his purposes. No matter what they are, God is in control and he knows what's best for me. And so I should respond in obedience to what he's showing me. How about grace? Grace shows me that God is always willing to forgive and not hold my sins against me. How should I respond to that? She says, okay, I'll be forgiven. I can do anything I want to. No, that's not how I should respond at all. I should not presume on God's grace, but I should live in ways that please him. So these are some ideas, hopefully, that will help you think through who God really is and what that means to your life, how you live under that character quality. Another question you could ask yourself is, how can I ask God to minister to my needs through this quality? And again, thinking about sovereignty. God has the right to intervene in our life situations because he's in control of everything and everything belongs to him. It's the basis of prayer. If God were not sovereign, if God didn't have the right to intervene in your life and to make changes in your situation, would there be any point in praying? There would be no point in praying at all. So it helps us realize that through his sovereignty, we can come to him. He has the right to intervene in our lives. And then if it's a communicable trait, how should we imitate that in our daily life? Now, obviously, sovereignty is not. We wish it might be. We'd like to be in control, wouldn't we? But it's not. Grace, however, is. Grace is a communicable attribute. And so we need to be willing to extend forgiveness and love unconditionally like God does. So looking at these qualities, what can I learn about God? What does it tell me about how he wants me to live? And then how can he use that quality to live and encourage and work through my life? Well, just as Hosea and Gomer are a picture of God's love and faithfulness to Israel, they're also a picture of God's love to us through Jesus Christ. And we're going to go through these. Sorry, I didn't put these up as I was talking about them. Okay, just as we saw God's love in relationship and these four qualities in building relationship with the nation of Israel, they are the same four qualities that reach out and build relationship with us today. First of all, God's love. 
And John 3.16 is a verse that most of us probably have heard many times and have even memorized. God loved the world. He gave his one and only son. And whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God didn't send Jesus, his son, into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. God is love. All right, another verse from Romans tells us that, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, we didn't have to get better. We didn't have to clean up and do the things that God wanted us to do and then come to him and say, okay, I'm here now. I'm ready now. No, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He unconditionally loved us and he reached out to us. The second quality, God's sovereignty. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin. Who's, who had no sin? Jesus. So he's talking about Jesus, right? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us in our place so that we might become, in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Again, only God could de declare us righteous. I could never declare myself righteous. You could never declare yourself righteous because we're not. We're sinful, right? But God said that he would take Jesus' sin my sin would be covered by Jesus' righteousness. Jesus had the earned status of righteousness. He was righteous. He never sinned. And God said, I will take his righteousness and put it on you. And only God could do that because only God is sovereign. Only God could make that decision. And so his sovereignty made us righteous. Then we have faithfulness. In 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So God is able and will forgive our sins and purify us again from our righteousness. He's faithful. Even though we go back, like Gomer did, go back into sin and do not live the way that God tells us to live, he will still be faithful to his covenant and forgive us. And the final one is God's grace. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Timothy Keller, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, has said, All forgiveness is costly. When you forgive, you absorb the loss and the debt. Isn't that interesting? You absorb the loss and the debt when you forgive, when you don't require them to pay back. God absorbed the punishment and the debt of sin himself. He paid it so that we did not have to. That's the relationship that God offers us. Just as he offered through Hosea a wonderful relationship to Gomer, and that was a picture of how God reaches out to us, to Israel in the Old Testament, and to those who accept him by faith in Jesus Christ. And I think it's important for us to, to ask ourselves how this gift of salvation through Christ is based on God's character qualities. What do we see? How is God's love, his sovereignty, his faithfulness, his grace? How are all of those things extended to us and give us the ability and the right to become the sons and the daughters that he desired us to be? So the better we understand God's character, the deeper, the richer, richer and the fuller our relationship with B. It's all about God. And as we study week by week, 
day by day as you do your work at home. Hopefully, we're always looking at what's below the surface. What can we learn about God? What is God showing us about himself? And how can we build this relationship? I asked Candy to sing, I Stand in Awe and Awe of You. Uh, what a wonderful song. What a wonderful song. He reached out to us. The God of creation, the sovereign God, knows and controls everything. He reached out to us in love, in sovereignty, in faithfulness, and in grace, so that we could come into relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for your just because love. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve it at all. But you love us not because of our performance, not because of warm, fuzzy feelings that you have for us, but because of who you are. You are love. And you ask us to emulate that, to imitate that, to be loving to those around us. And we'll be looking at that. In, in weeks to come. How you told Hosea to reach out in love to Gomer, who did not deserve it, and who despised him, who acted in contempt towards him. And we confess that we have done that at times too. So Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for the relationship that we have in Jesus Christ. Help us not to take it for granted and help us to see the importance of our living that kind of love just because love with the people in our world today. Thank you for these women. Thank you for the things that they've been studying. And I pray now that as we go to our groups and our discussion that um, we will learn the things that you want us, each one, to learn. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. See you next week.